It's the Kim Munson Show. The Washington Times said the patriotic Americans donated U.S. flags after protesters raised the Mexican flag over the ICE facility. Analyzing the most important stories. It is not fair that, that people come in illegally and they have three square meals a day, TVs and all. There's something that is wrong with this picture. The latest in politics and world affairs. When we get into conversations with people, you can get real bombastic with each other because you haven't read it. You don't know what you're talking about. Today's current opinions and ideas. So if you understand the issue, then you can have calm, reasonable conversations. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. And welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. My friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff. That could be their rights, their property, their freedom, their livelihood, opportunity, or lives via force. And force could be a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, the World Economic Forum, Davos Global elites agenda or 87,000 IRS agents that are authorized in the Democrats Income Reduction Act. Uh, We are pre-recording some of these shows right around Labor Day so that the team can take a little bit of time off. The team works uh, diligently to bring these shows to you. And so uh, we decided to pre-record, but uh, want to have original content for you on this. And so I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Lisa Bennett. But Lisa, before we do that, I just realized I also like to say thank you to the team I work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. And also, all of you listeners, you're each treasured and valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. Uh, my friends, we were made for this moment. And um, our, our quote for the day before we get to Lisa is from George Orwell. And he wrote Animal Farm, 1984. But I thought it was appropriate for what we're talking about today. And that is the uh, election manipulation, election fraud in our country. And he said this, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is an act of, whoops, I didn't finish the whole thing here. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And on that note, welcome Lisa Bennett. She is an entrepreneur. Uh, she is the owner of Wild Skies, which is a luxurious cabin rental on the Western Slope. And uh, Lisa Bennett, we're going to be talking about the integrity uh, of our elections, manipulation of our elections, fraud in our elections. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Kim. I appreciate being here. Uh, Just recently, Mike Lindell had uh, a symposium uh, titled The Moment of Truth and uh, basically put these tabulation machines that have been used in uh, tabulating the votes in our elections on trial. And you were actually there, yes? Yes, I was. So tell us about that. Well, so I guess I would start off with saying it wasn't a hacking session. So it wasn't like they were on trial in the point where people were showing how the machines were able to get hacked in. So this was not a DEF CON event. What this was is the majority of it was all 50 states that had people looking into the election fraud in their state had the opportunity to present information 
on what type of election anomalies or fraud, et cetera, they may have found in their states. All that information is available on frankspeech.com, so every presentation that was made by every single state can be viewed. So if you want to go to Colorado or look at any of the other ones, you absolutely can. As far as what was covered, uh, a lot of these groups had canvassers that went door-to-door, and the information received from the canvassers didn't necessarily match up. Additionally, you had situations where potentially um, they actually were able to look at the voter registration rolls and find algorithms on fake voters. That was New York. So New York State actually figured out the voter identification numbers that were assigned to the fake voters, which was very interesting. And all this information is available on Frank's speech. So I could go on and on with you know, different things that happened in different states. But essentially, each state had an interesting and different dynamic and aspect to things. And I'm happy to go into whatever detail you'd like on that, Kim. Well, uh, how about Colorado? What, uh, what did you learn about Colorado? <laughs> well, of course, Colorado is all about Tina Peters. And, but it's also about uh, election information and machines that have been found to not give out the accurate results in Colorado. Uh, so specifically what's happening in Colorado is, uh, which is what the Tina Peters narrative is, that the Secretary of State, Jenna Greswold, um, is not allowing access to information that should be allowed. Now, just to lay the groundwork here, a lot of people don't make the connection to the fact that we, the public, are the taxpayers. We, as the public, pay for all the computers, all the offices, all the salaries for the staff that work in our state. As a result of what we pay in our various taxes, whether it's property taxes, income taxes, sales taxes, etc., we have a right to that information and data that's being produced. What a lot of secretaries of state, including ours in Colorado, are saying is that that information is not yours. It's private, it's privileged, it's confidential, and you're not allowed to it. And we can understand that with identifiable information, such as my social security number, et cetera. That shouldn't be information just um, you know, given out willy-nilly. But there's a lot of other data that doesn't have sensitive information on it that would be very beneficial for data analysts or others that are trying to determine whether we actually did have a free and fair election or a fraud election, um, can analyze to weigh in the court of public opinion as well as in the courts as to whether something was handled properly or not. And what we have found out is that we have problems with phantom voters. We have problems with the machines not generating the reports that are needed to be able to fully audit the results of the election. So, for example, if you are, uh, let's just take Enron, for example. Enron was playing with their books. They were fudging things, and that's ultimately what imploded the company down there in Texas. But an auditor that would go in would be allowed access to all the information on the accounting on that company to determine whether that company was doing something legitimately. An auditor can't go into a company and be told by the CEO that everything is free, fair, and and upright, and there's nothing wrong with the company, and please sign off and certify that the company is doing their books correctly. An auditor would never do that. An auditor would need to actually see 
the detailed information on what was coming into the company as far as sales and what was going out as far as expenses. And without that information, no reputable company would actually sign off that they performed an audit and that the company passed satisfactorily. But that's exactly what the Secretary of States across our country are asking not only the elected officials that have to certify the elections, such as county commissioners at the county level, and then, of course, at the state level and onward, not only are they asking them to just trust that everything is great and that everything is free and secure, but when asked for that additional reporting information, they're told they can't see it. They just need to do their jobs as good little boys and girls and just certify. And that's the problem that we're running into, because we do have a few select places across the country, Atrium County, Michigan, um, of course, what happened in Mesa, Colorado, as examples of where we have the before and after or the data that no other county wants to give us or no other Secretary of State wants to allow us to see, um, that shows that in the two places where we know for certain we have the data, there were issues. And then we do have other counties across the country where they're given some access. They're not given access necessarily to the machines, but to some other parts of the whole electoral process. And there's fraud in those problems, and there's fraud and problems in those areas. Mostly that's with fake voter registrations and things like that, a lot along the lines of the 2000 Mule movies. So without getting access to the machines, a lot of this fraud can't be found. And it's not just access to the machines, because even if we were given access to the machines today, if all the data has been wiped out, you cannot conduct a true forensic audit because the information from 2020 is missing. So speaking of that, uh, we had Susan Kochevar on a, a, um, just recently, and she had watched a lot of the moment of truth, the trial of the tabulation uh, voting machines. And she uh, and I'd missed this. I was in and out because I kept getting interrupted on things. She said that something that uh, they recommend is that each citizen or somebody in each county request the cast vote records. And in essence, those records should uh actually uh, allow everyday regular citizens to take a look at the votes that were cast and then do their own hand recount, if you will, and see if those results match up to the uh, what was reported from the tabulating machines. What's your thoughts about that, Lisa Bennett? Well, I'm not sure how much data is actually going to be gleaned from that. Now, I will you know put the caveat out there. I'm not a data analyst. And so I can't speak specifically to um, technically what can be found when they do more in-depth computer programming and data analyst type work that I don't do. But what I can say is it will tell you at least the percentage of people that voted in each of the precincts. And what is normal is less than 65%. That's what's normal. So if you have an anomaly where there's a super high percentage of voters in an area that showed up to vote, and in some counties, they're actually finding that the percentage is greater than the number of registered voters. And that was the case in New York and New Jersey and a few other places where they had 140% or 60% showing up to vote, or Pennsylvania where they had more um, voters than they did registered voters, and they never reconciled that before they certified the election. They still had tens of thousands of extra votes 
that could not be, and, and, and forgive me for not knowing the exact number on Pennsylvania, uh, but I think it was actually maybe even into the hundred thousands of votes that could not be reconciled to a voter registration. So a lot of counties might be able to easily find the blatant fraud like that where there are more people voting than there were registered voters, and the, the, the CVR should show that. But as far as detailed information on whether a vote was switched, et cetera, that's not going to show in the CVR to my knowledge. So it's not the end-all, be-all. It's just one aspect of trying to find the flaws in the system. Okay, but if uh, ever, and my understanding is, is the requests need to be made for these um, cast vote records immediately because uh, the 2020 uh, election um, um, CVRs and, and all uh, could be erased on September 3rd, is what I've heard. What, what's your, have you heard that yeah, as well? So, federal law says that at a minimum, every state must retain their election records for 22 months. Now, that's another problem, um, and some states have longer. So I believe Colorado actually keeps it for a tiny bit longer than that. Um, but in most states, the minimum, the absolute minimum per federal, is the minimum is 22 months, and that deadline is February 3rd. Or September now, 3rd. Every, yep, February, I'm sorry, September 3rd, excuse mm-hmm. me, September 3rd. Um, every county, though, is different in how they handle it in every state. So, for example, in certain states, it's the clerk's prerogative to go ahead and delete that information. In certain counties, it could be that they have to then present the destruction of the election records to the county commissioners who then have to vote on it to approve the destruction. Either way, there are a couple things that people can do, and this is very last minute. Um, Kim, I will get templates to you over the weekend so that you can put them up on your site, but I will give templates of a letter, a records retention letter that people can file on their behalf with their county that would require the county to keep the records and not destroy them. And basically, it would be that you are intending to file a lawsuit against the county and that those records are evidence on this lawsuit for election fraud. So if anyone wants to do that, I will provide that information to you, Kim, so you can post it. Now, what your your um, listeners would need to do if they want to pursue that is they would need to just take that as a sample of what another state has done and they would need to either pro se represent themselves that's what that means in court as a person filing the claim in court and use that template and change it as needed for the appropriate code for their state Um, they would need to do that Um, if However, they do have a lawyer who is willing to file this on their behalf. The lawyer can then use the template and make all the changes. Um, That would, of course, cost money to hire a lawyer to do it unless you have one in the family. Um, But there are two ways to do it. You can do it on your own without the use of a lawyer, or you can do it through a lawyer to get that done, and I'll get those templates out there. But that would, once a lawsuit is pending or threatened, uh, it would be considered illegal for the county to destroy their records because it would be evidence in that court case that they would be destroying. Now, that's not to say that counties haven't done it. As a matter of fact, uh, there were recent elections where, uh, and I believe one of them was in Kansas, where the person couldn't believe the results, and it was a Democrat, couldn't believe the results of the election because she lived in a precinct where it showed she had zero votes in her own precinct, and she knows for certain her and her husband voted for her. And so when they looked at the results, it was a complete flip. She ended up winning. And um, with that particular situation, they had the records. But there was another situation similar to that where when three days after the election, the 
candidate wanted to challenge the results, the election administrator basically said they, they destroyed all the paper ballots. They didn't have them three days after the election, even though it's supposed to keep them. And, and this was not a federal race. So the federal law of 22 months does not apply. Um, different rules for states based on local races versus federal. But at any rate, they said, don't worry, we have the cast vote records, and that will show. And when they finally went to court, guess what? The cast vote records had disappeared, too. So there were no records for the election whatsoever for that candidate to be able to question the results. So what I'm saying is, even though by law they're required to keep them, it doesn't mean they have to. Now, that particular, and I don't know if it was, a, I believe it was a clerk, was only given a $1,000 fine for losing the election records. Unbelievable. Let's go to break. I'm talking with Lisa Bennett. We're talking about election integrity, manipulation, fraud. Uh, you And we, my friends, we must have free, fair, honest, and transparent elections uh, for us to have our country. So we're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Lisa Bennett. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Are you concerned about the curriculum taught in government-run schools? Are you concerned about CRT and sexual indoctrination worldview agendas taught to your children in government-run schools? Are you concerned that your children are not receiving a quality education in the government-run public schools? Have you considered homeschooling but don't know where to start? Christian Home Educators of Colorado, or CHECK, has answers. You can homeschool. Go to check.org start. Kim Munson highly recommends Christian Home Educators of Colorado. Reclaim your child's education by going to chec.org start today. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And before we uh, continue on our conversation with Lisa Bennett, the show comes to you because of all of you who support us. And I also have uh, great uh, partner sponsors. And one of those is Hooters Restaurants. Uh, They have five locations, Loveland, Aurora, Lone Tree, Westminster, and Colorado Springs. They have great happy hour specials and lunch specials Monday through Friday. But uh, we... we um, came together, uh, and it's really an interesting story about freedom and free markets and um, proper role of government, and you can find that story at KimMunson.com. Uh, Lisa Bennett, she is an entrepreneur, and she is the owner of a luxurious cabin rental on the Western Slope here in Colorado, uh, Wild Skies, and um, she's been taking a look as a concerned citizen about our elections. And uh, you were down at the Moment of Truth uh, Symposium or Summit. Uh, 
and put on trial these tabulation machines. Um, what are some red flags that we the, we the people, we the citizens can be looking for, Lisa Bennett? Well, awareness is one. A lot of people maybe don't want to make the time to read their county commissioner's minutes or attend their meetings, but it's imperative that someone in your organization, when I say that, I don't know whether you are a concerned citizen organization or you're a party, and it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. I advise that both Democrats and Republicans show up because I don't think the fraud is limited to any one party. Even though we seem to focus on Trump and Biden, I I believe that Republicans can do the exact same thing that Democrats are doing. So we need to keep both parties in check, uh, basically the establishment in check to make sure that they're doing things properly. But you have to know the rules of the game. That's number one. And knowing the rules of the game means going to your local level office, most cases that'll be a county, could be a township, and ask them for all of their policies and procedures. Are they supposed to have a log book, a security log book of who has access to the machine? So when the certified technician from the manufacturer of the machine comes out to work on it, to update it, like what happened with Tina Peters, uh, do you have a record of what date they came in and what they did to the machine and how they performed? Um, That should all be public knowledge. Those are called security logs, and those should be made available to the public. If your county person or your local administrator is not allowing you access to that data, if they're telling you to FOIA and then they're ignoring your Freedom of Information Act request, then that's a big red flag. So not giving you access to data that is your your data to access. And one of the toughest things about a year ago or a year and a half ago for people to receive was actually who voted in the election. Like, you'd think that would be easy, that any Secretary of State would be able to give you a list of here are all the people that voted in the election. But there are lots of Secretary of States to this day, almost two years after the election, have still not provided a list of who voted in that presidential 2020 election. So that's a big red flag. And especially what's interesting is getting data on what that voter roll was before the election, on the election, and after the election, because those voter rolls are constantly being updated as people die, marry, move away, whatever the circumstance may be. Having it before and after shows what kind of changes are being made. And we've got about 33 states that use the ERIC system. ERIC is a non profit organization, or maybe they're not nonprofit or not-for-profit, but they're basically um, an organization that was funded originally by George Soros and is connected with SEER, which that's C-E-I-R, and SEER is connected with David Becker, who's both part of Eric and SEER and is part of the Hillary Clinton um, connection. <laughs> they're all connected, and um, those, and also part of the Obama administration. So those people are all connected, and they're all running these voter registration roles that the states are using to update and keep their voter registration roles accurate, which means that our state officials outsource their official duty to a third-party company that has left leanings and left funders and is considered a private organization, so therefore the information they're providing to the state is confidential and can't be shared with the public. And this is a big concern. Whenever your government partners with a private organization, whether it's through intellectual property protections, whether it's through confidentiality agreements, et cetera, the public is being denied access to something that is accessing our public records, meaning in this case our voter rolls. 
And when that happens, you no longer have um, access to the data that you need to to analyze whether fraud is being uh, or fraud is being perpetrated. And so, without that transparency, um, a veil, a curtain is being put up. So just like in The Wizard of Oz, you have no idea who's moving the levers to make everything work. You don't know if your vote is really counting. So for starters, I'd say fight back against any government organization that wants to outsource their responsibilities to a private third-party company or to partner with them so that you can no longer have access to what's being happened and how, what's happening and what's being manipulated potentially. Also, red flag, rental equipment. In New Mexico, the, the equipment that was used for the voter registration and the poll books was all rented. So therefore, after the election, it was all returned back to the company, which means it's no longer available for inspection. So you have no idea what could have been on those systems. And those systems sometimes are integrated. So the same system that captures your vote, tallies your vote, has a voter poll book on there. And if one aspect can be broken into, if they're all on the same system, they all can be accessed. So no rental equipment, no partnerships with private companies. And then here's another thing. Pay attention to what your Secretary of State does. Do we pay attention to the classes, the seminars, the, the workshops that they go to? I think it's really important that we do. All their travel, all their trips, everything is public information. Someone needs to be watching to see what's happening, because a lot of times you're finding out that you might have Secretary of State's offices teaching their local county clerks how to deny FOIA requests legally. Like, do we really want our government teaching our government agencies how to not abide by the people's will to get the information they're entitled to get? I don't think so. And that's a big eye-opener, is government officials teaching other government officials how they can avoid it. And one example of denying a FOIA request could be if I say, hey, Kim, you're the county clerk. Can I please get your CVR report? Can you give that to me? And then you can simply reply back saying, we do not have a CVR report. Because the data might be in your machine, and you could create one, but you haven't yet created it. So since it's not created, you don't have the report, even though you have all the data to create that report. So a poorly worded FOIA request can be denied by what I'll call a non-transparent or crooked clerk. Now, why would someone behave that way? If you have nothing to hide, if everything is free, safe, secure, and done um, legally and appropriately, then you clearly would know a request like that means go create the report. That's what I want to see. But they're putting up these roadblocks to make it very difficult to access the information. And what they're really trying to do is run out the legal clock. Mm -hmm. This is really all about lawfare and running out the legal clock so that by the time you do find the information, it's too late to be able to do anything with it. Well, and speaking of running out the clock, Lisa Bennett, we are getting close to uh, the midterm elections, and I think that 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 is what is occurring here. And this election is so important, um, and I think it's going to be different from state to state. I, I think it's very difficult here in Colorado, particularly when we saw that Secretary of State Jenna Griswold and former Secretary of State, uh, she's Democrat, Wayne Williams, Republican, used taxpayer money to create an ad and run it on all kinds of outlets that uh, saying that we have uh, safe and secure elections here in Colorado. And uh, so I'm concerned here in Colorado that they may be very successful in running the clock out. What's your thoughts on that, Lisa? 
Uh, potentially they are. It costs a lot of money to do what all these people have been doing for the last 18 months. And to file injunctions or to file lawsuits is not free. And a lot of people aren't prepared um, to even find an attorney. On a previous um, call that we had, we talked about how the judiciary is set up in such a way to make it very difficult to be a true Christian conservative or even just a conservative attorney in this country because between the ABA and between the Supreme Courts in lots of states, it makes it very difficult to not basically get um, kicked off of being a lawyer, basically have your license revoked because they don't like the type of cases you're pursuing. And constitutionally, that's absolutely not the way it should be, but they have been working on this for over 50 years, and they've accomplished a lot. So it's really hard to even find an attorney to represent you. So um, all of this takes time, and then the attorney has to figure out whether he wants to take the chance that he could be disbarred for presenting this case. So there's a lot working against the people that are trying to pursue this. So in certain states, the clock may run out. Um, in other states, they might have attorneys, like in Arizona, that are willing to file an injunction to save um, all the records to potentially be able to be reviewed and analyzed in a different way. So another thing people have to understand is that even though a lot of this information was requested, a lot still hasn't been delivered or a lot's been deleted as soon as it was requested. So we can't actually get the complete analysis on the data because of that. So there's really no way to know whether or not the last election was safe and secure, is there? Well, supposedly Mike Lindell has uh, this Dennis Montgomery person who actually wrote the software that was used, and he has all the data. And so that data is in front of a judge. It was sent basically last Sunday. And that judge has to allow whether that information can be released to the public so we can analyze it. So it's in front of a judge right now is all I know. And we're hoping that very shortly it will be released so that those that know how to analyze the data can pinpoint exactly how the fraud occurred. I will tell you that one example that they did provide at that summit was a machine that takes at least one second to scan a ballot. And it had thousands of ballots scanned at the exact same moment, which means that the clock went down to the second, and it showed that a thousand ballots were done at that exact second, which is physically impossible for the machine to do. So that indicates machine fraud and manipulation. So it can be found. You just need to get access to the correct data, and that's what all these Secretary of States and others have been opposed to and have been fighting, both in the courts and at the local level with requests that we've made. Well, and, and that's why these uh, Secretary of State um, uh, elections are, are very important. And, uh, and we, county clerks. And county and, clerks. And county clerks, yeah. Abs- Tina. She's a good example. Absolutely, absolutely. So, hey, let's go to break. Uh, I'm talking with Lisa Bennett regarding uh, our elections, and we want free, fair, honest, and transparent elections. And if we don't have those, we really don't have a country, my friends. And so before we go to break, a nonprofit that I have adopted is the USMC Memorial Foundation. They are raising money for the Marine Memorial out at 6th and Colfax. And we must remember the stories and honor those that have given their lives, have been willing to give their lives for our freedom. You can help them by uh, going to usmcmemorialfoundation.org to donate. That's usmcmemorialfoundation.org. We'll be right back with Lisa Bennett. 
The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. Hey everybody, Roots Medical here with an exciting update about the practice. In addition to specialties in hormones, thyroid, and gut health, Roots Medical is thrilled to now offer pediatrics. Scheduling is easy, and the appointments are comprehensive, genuine, and focused on your child. Take control of your child's health care by scheduling at Roots Medical. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your health care concerns. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. With the professional training from Franktown Firearms, everyone can improve. The experts at Franktown meet you at your current level of experience, gauging your confidence and ability so they can recommend exactly what's right for you. After you purchase your first or tenth firearm, Franktown will always encourage you to train. They maintain a comfortable atmosphere, offering lessons for improvement with one-on-one classes and private training or even group classes, guiding you along your journey from beginner to expert. They even offer a concealed carry certification class. Franktown Firearms doesn't play by the corporate model. As a family-owned, operated, and family-friendly business, they give everyone the time they deserve. They emphasize the importance of training in a comfortable and inclusive environment. Franktown Firearms wants you to be as invested in improving your skills as they are in training with you. Sign up for any of their group or personalized courses today at klzradio.com forward slash franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. Americans Veteran Stories with Kim Munson, Sunday afternoons at 3, here on KLZ 560 AM and KLZ 100.7. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim com as well. On the line with me is Lisa Bennett. She's an entrepreneur. Uh, she's owner of Wild Skies, which is a luxurious uh, cabin rental on the Western Slope. Uh, but we're talking about election integrity, election manipulation, election fraud. And uh, she was at the Moment of Truth Summit regarding the putting the tabulating machines on trial, if you will. And so what, you know, what are some things that we can uh, watch out for ourselves as individual citizens, Lisa Bennett? So for starters, I would say definitely go to your Secretary of State's website. 
look up the election judge handbook materials, how to open and close poll materials, look specifically at diagrams and photos of machines and where security labels or stickers should be on the machines. Make sure when you do have a primary or election day that you actually look at the machine that they are having your ballot scanned in or the machine that you're using to cast your vote. Make sure that it does have security seals on it. I can tell you that um, in Montana, in Carbon County, Montana, which is Red Lodge, Montana, uh, their machines arrived new February 2020. Their election clerk, uh, Mackie Boleyn, at the at the time, she's an election administrator, um, did not notice that the machine did not have any security seals on it or if any of the seals were broken. It wasn't part of their log records. It wasn't part of their policies and procedures. So I would also ask your county clerks for what their procedures are for making sure that the machines are constantly secured and didn't notice that um, the, that a technician came in, because this is during COVID, so they were short-staffed, um, didn't notice that a technician came in in April of 2020 supposedly to do an altitude adjustment on the machine, which the elevation in Red Lodge is only about 5,500 feet. So unlike Vail and other areas where we're at, uh, you know, 9,000 feet or, you know, 7,000 and so on, and even Leadville, which is 10,000 and higher, um, much lower and claimed that the machine had an issue with how it was counting ballots and this was not the machine that was delivered. This was something that happened in a different county, so therefore they were going to check all the machines that were at a certain elevation or higher. And supposedly across the country, they were going to check all these machines. So I would tell your customers, uh, or your, excuse me, your listeners, that they should go to their county clerks and ask for, uh, do a FOIA on any kind of repair that was made to their machine, especially if you're in a higher elevation area, ask for all the details on exactly what kind of repairs or changes may have been made to the machine. But supposedly this was to the scanner. The scanner couldn't handle the, ele- the elevation, and therefore it, the scanner board had to be replaced or modified. And so the technician went into the machine, breaking the warranty seals, because there were no security seals on the actual hardware device of the machine, on the exterior case of it. Um, So he broke the warranty seal to get in, and supposedly he didn't have any warranty seals, never notified anyone on staff that this happened, and it stayed that way through May of 2022, so for two years in all those elections. It never had security seals on it, and our staff never noticed, and our county commissioners never noticed, and frankly, none of the voters that cast their votes in the machine ever noticed that it didn't have seals, not that voters would know where the seals belonged. I found out at the the summit that the same thing happened in Kentucky, and the same thing happened in Richland, South Carolina, Richland County, South Carolina, that the machines used to counter votes had no seals or broken seals on them. So I would say if anyone has noticed broken seals on any of the machines, that they should report it. They should report it to their sheriff. That's who it gets reported to, not just to the staff that's there, but you should call the sheriff because that means someone's been tampering with an election machine, which is a federal offense in addition to whatever local and state offense it might be. And so that's something that they should look into. I would also say that um, if anyone knows of any record that they obtain that their machine needed an altitude adjustment, uh, send that information over to Kim because we'd love to have it. So those are some things I would point out to people that they should be watching out for. But most importantly, they need to know 
just as much as their clerks and election administrators on how their election is run. You need to know what type of procedures there are for chain of custody. I, I had an election judge tell me that they were the provisional ballot head judge, and it was their first year doing it. And at the end of the day, the head judge for the precinct came by to collect the ballots, but there was no chain of custody. There was nothing that he had to sign that said, okay, these were the ballots in my custody, I had X amount, and I am now giving them to the head election judge to take over to tabulate. So that seems to me to be that the common factor with a lot of these counties is that the local people running them, whether they're volunteer election judges or whether they're, they're paid county officials, aren't following the rules, they're sloppy, and there's lots of ability for people to cheat the system as a result. And a quick clarification, we talk about voting machines, and is there a difference? Is there a voting machine, and then is there the tabulating machine, or clarify that, Lisa? So the terms are oftentimes used interchangeably. Technically speaking, Dominion, where you have a touch screen and you're actually touching the name of the candidate so you don't have a paper ballot, is considered an election machine. And then something like a DS-200, which is a scanner and tabulator built in, they call those just a tabulator, um, although really the term is used interchangeably. It's almost like no one says, can I have a box of tissues? They all say, can you hand the Kleenex over? Um, so they're terms that are used interchangeably, even though one term is maybe more correct to use than another. Okay. Um where do you want to go next on this, Lisa? We've got probably about oh, maybe seven minutes in this particular segment. Sure. So I guess the next thing that I'd like to cover is that most people assume that when they fill out a paper ballot or when they're done touching the screen for all filling in all the ovals that they want to fill in on that ballot, that their vote is being tabulated at that moment. And that is not correct. So all that's happening at that moment is the machine is recording or scanning or copying what you just filled out. If the machine is working properly and accurately, then it accurately is recording each oval that you filled out. But it's not counting it at that point in time. So when you get your little sticker that says, I voted, you technically filled out the ovals, but your vote wasn't counted yet depending on the type of equipment that you use, that's done at a later stage. In fact, on some equipment, there's no tabulation done on that machine at all. All it is doing is creating the cast vote record. And there's actually the cast vote record or the equivalent of, depending on the machine that's being used, that later gets tabulated for the total number of votes on that election for each of the races. So I just want people to understand that we can't make assumptions that things work a certain way. We actually need to know how they work to fully understand how the system operates and therefore how it can be manipulated or changed. And one of the common refrains that I get from county commissioners is that the hand count of the paper ballots matched what the tabulator said it was supposed to be. Therefore, the machines are just fine. There's no issue with the machines. However, what you have to understand as a listener and a voter is that they did not hand count every race in every precinct in that county. They didn't hand count the whole county. They choose a couple specific races in a specific precinct 
and that's all they're hand counting. Knowing that, I specifically asked Jeff O'Donnell, who is a Colorado um, you know, lone raccoon who looked at the Tina Peters case and looked and, and created report number three, amongst other reports, um, with the, the Mesa County data. And I said, how do I deal with this? How do I explain to county clerks that there could still be fraud when they say there can't be because it matches? And he says that if you don't physically see how the random lottery actually works for how they choose which precinct, is going to be audited and what race is going to be audited, then how do you know that it was random? How do you know that they didn't say in every county there are certain races and certain precincts we're not going to mess with so that it matches up so no one complains? Unless you do a full audit of every single vote in every race and every precinct, you won't know if they left a couple precincts or a couple races in those precincts alone and that those weren't pre-selected to be the ones audited afterwards, Mm -hmm. which is a very good point. You know, we see the lottery on TV when the lottery numbers are drawn, but do we see the Secretary of State picking the precincts? How do we know it's not predetermined? I don't know. And so that's another aspect to this that needs to be investigated and perhaps needs to be a lot more transparent. Well, and if there's nothing to hide, then it seems that we would have transparency. But we are seeing all of these roadblocks uh, throughout the country. And as we had mentioned here uh, regarding Colorado, I think that they're just trying to pl- um, run the clock out and, um, you know, w- without, you know, actually answering these questions. And if there was, I just have to say, if there's no there there, then what's the problem with being transparent about this, Lisa? Exactly. That's the point, especially when you ask for a list of who voted and they can't provide it. And is that just in, well, this is happening all across the country then, isn't it? All 50 states. I'll tell you my big, I had a couple big takeaways from the Moment of Truth Summit. One was that we are all running into the same roadblocks. We all in every state have county clerks or other elected officials that are denying us access to the information. We all have secretary of states that seem to be very complicit, regardless of whether they're Democrats or Republicans. Once again, for all your listeners out there, this is not a partisan issue. This voting fraud is a nonpartisan issue. Um, so you have that complicity. So I was noticing that everybody was, had very similar issues to the other, to different degrees, depending on the machine and how big their states were and things like that. And the second takeaway that I had is, why in the world did Mike Lindell wait till practically the last minute to tell us to start filing these injunctions? I mean, they don't, you can't do them overnight. It's not like going to a vending machine and putting in a dollar and pressing a button and boom, you have your injunction. It's, it could take months to even find an attorney let alone one that returns your call, let alone one that wants to take the case. And then you have the fundraising efforts. It takes months or years to raise the amount of money that's needed. Injunctions are not cheap. They can run anywhere from twenty to $100,000. So, you know, my second takeaway was uh, this is a lot for us to have to do at the last minute unless we had been prepared all along, which a lot of us aren't. Uh, But the other takeaway was that too many of us are trying to recreate the wheel with FOIA requests with injunctions, with whatever other thing we're trying to do to protect our elections, and that there probably needs to be a better um, maybe national group to help gather all this information and contain best practices 
and help those people that don't know where to get started because it's already been done in another state and it just needs to be modified in yours. Oh, that is great advice, uh, Lisa Bennett. Let's go to break. I'm talking with Lisa Bennett. She is a concerned, very informed citizen regarding um, our the integrity of our elections and election manipulation and election fraud. And uh, my friends, we must have free, fair, tra- uh, honest and transparent elections. And we must question any a politician or bureaucrat that is putting roadblocks up to making that happen. So we're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Lisa Bennett. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. Uh, that is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And you shouldn't have to hide behind uh, veils and cloud, you know, cloud the issue. We're talking about the integrity of our election. And uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we've got problems here in Colorado. First of all, the fact that we paper our state with mail-in ballots, that we've not cleaned up our voter rolls, that uh, we are seeing roadblocks to try to look inside these tabulating machines and, and do hand recounts and make sure that those things match up. All those things are big red flags regarding our elections here. And uh, it's interesting to me that we have seen, and I mean, I could not believe that Wayne Williams did that ad with Jenna Griswold. Uh, Wayne Williams, Republican, former Secretary of State, and uh, Jenna Griswold, Democrat, current Secretary of State, that they use taxpayers' money to do these ads to assure us that we have safe and secure elections. What do you think about that, Lisa Bennett? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that this is a nonpartisan issue. The establishment, whether they are Republican or Democrat, they're in on it together. It's not a one-party issue. It's almost like they decide beforehand who's going to take turns running things. Um, so I don't know that for a fact. That's just the way it looks with how they're operating. So I would say that um, there are there, it's complicit between the two big parties. Now, another thing that your voters... Um, need to understand with the data analysts that they keep on saying it's hard to talk about uh, verbally, really is more of a visual, but if you think of it this way, if you have 10 people voting, you will see a swing when you start adding the votes. If let's just say the first three people voted for Biden, then it's going to be a big discrepancy between Biden's plot on the, on the x-axis up high And, of course, if Trump is at zero after three votes, he's going to be way low. So the lines are going to be very far apart with how many votes are in between each of those those two candidates. But then as the next three votes come in, and it turns out that those three votes go to Trump, all of a sudden the data points merge. 
and now they look like they're in a dead heat 50-50 statistically. Then when you go to the to the next vote, which would be the seventh vote, so 70% of the vote in, if that goes to Biden, he jumps up just by a little bit. But then when you get to the eighth vote and, it's, and it turns out to be Trump, then they're both statistically matched again and the lines merge. What I'm trying to display here is when you have a small number of votes, the lines will go up and down and up and down, and depending on how many get counted first for one candidate or another, there could be a big discrepancy. So, for example, if a huge Democrat city um, gets their votes in before maybe a rural Republican area does, there could be a big disparity in the, the lines on the curve for how many people are voting for each candidate. But once you start getting to one million ballots, when, when you're that high, the lines stay close together, even if all of a sudden a big Democrat or Republican precinct reports. It's not going to make much of a difference. So if 10,000 votes come in for Donald Trump, then that one million line doesn't move very much because 10,000 out of a million statistically is a small part of that line. So there's not much movement. What we saw in the 2020 election across the board is that we would see big changes towards the end when millions and millions of votes have already been brought in and counted. And you just don't see it. It's not natural. That's not how it happens. And historically, when you compare it to previous elections, you don't see those anomalies. And that's just one example of an anomaly that doesn't make sense. Uh, Another thing that they brought up at the symposium was that if a district is trending one way or the other, Democrat or Republican, you don't all of a sudden have a huge shift to a lot more votes for one candidate when he was trending down or another candidate um, when he's trending up. So in other words, it's usually incremental gains. It's not a huge shift. So if Donald Trump had gained 5,000 more votes in a district that had 50,000 votes, that's 10%, and that's a huge gain for him. That's like one of the bigger gains that you would see. And if that's a district that maybe had been trending up for a while, so maybe back in 2000 for Bush, Maybe they had 41,000 people vote for Bush, and then you know maybe it gradually had been trending up towards that 50,000 vote. Um, you'd expect that it would continue to trend up, by a little bit at least. And if that's happening, usually that means the Democrat vote is trending downward. And so it would be unusual for all of a sudden to have a down, down, down Democrat percentage of vote in that district to all of a sudden Biden gets 18,000 more votes in that district. And maybe he doesn't overtake Trump. But to have a big jump like that does not make sense. If you're trending downward, your total number of votes trend downward, corrected for census population gain. And so too many of those anomalies were coming up for it to actually make sense. And what they are saying is that pretty much at the end of the night, you know, closer towards midnight, Trump was so far ahead in the six battleground states that they got desperate to try and make up those votes. And the algorithm had to be reset because the algorithm wasn't making enough of a difference to overcome all the additional votes. Now, what that means for what your listeners can take forward is if you can avoid mail-in and absentee ballots, you need to. You need to get off that absentee list. You need to make sure that you're voting in person. If you can't, if this is an all-mail-in election and you can't get off of the list, then don't take your ballot in until the day of the election. Because what happens is, based on getting those ballots ahead of time, 
they can see the trend for how many more people are voting for a particular ballot measure or candidate and say, okay, our algorithm's going to need to be bumped up a little bit or it needs to be taken down. We don't need to win by as much because not as many people are interested in this race as we thought. And the reason why they want to do that is because if they set it way too high to begin with, it would look really fishy if historically it's always been close to a 51, 49 percentage win if all of a sudden it was a 70 percent to 30 percent win. That would look really odd. And so they have to make it look good. And the only way to do that is to get real-time feedback on what the ballot numbers are looking and so if you don't turn that in until the last minute, they have a really hard time of predicting it and changing things enough to make the difference. And that is why I think Trump won in 2016 against Hillary. Everyone was saying Hillary had it in the bag. Why were they saying that? Because they knew it was rigged. What they didn't predict, though, was Trump was going to get so many more votes than they had anticipated that there wasn't enough room to cheat enough to bring Hillary over the top. And, and that's why, again, this is somewhat subjective on our parts, but I think that is one of the reasons she was so mad that night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would agree. Man, I cheated and I still didn't win. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, there's, that's not fair. <laughs> right? Well, uh, of course, she went on every news channel afterwards saying that, that Trump cheated. I know. Because how could, if, with her cheating, how could she win unless Trump cheated, cheated too? Right, right. But the American people showed up, and we do need to show up again. Uh, This next election is really important. Lisa Bennett, this has been quite informative. We've got a minute left. How would you like to button this up? Cary Lake won in Arizona only because they got a massive number of people to show up and vote. You may think your vote doesn't count, but if we can have a massive number more than they can overcome show up to vote, they can't cheat enough to win. So you've got to show up and vote. And uh, Lisa Bennett, owner of Wild Skies, uh, thank you so much. I always learn so much uh, when we do these conversations. So thank you. Thank you, Kim. And our quote for the end of the day is from George Orwell. He said, the further a society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show. The Washington Times said the patriotic Americans donated U.S. flags after protesters raised the Mexican flag over the ICE facility. Analyzing the most important stories. It is not fair that that people come in illegally and they have three square meals a day, TVs and all. There's something that is wrong with this picture. The latest in politics and world affairs. When we get into conversations with people, you can get real bombastic with each other because you haven't read it. You don't know what you're talking about. Today's current opinions and ideas. So if you understand the issue, then you can have calm, reasonable conversations. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, and welcome uh, to Hour 2 of the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website, 
That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you should not have to force people to do it. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, freedom, livelihood, opportunity, or their lives. And force comes in a lot of different packages. Uh, Some of them are weapons, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, the World Economic Forum, Davos Globalist Elite's agenda, or the new 87,000 IRS agents authorized in the Democrats' Income Reduction Act. Uh, So... Uh, There's all kinds of force going on. We'd like to contract that list. That would mean that we would have limited government. And something that was put in place to try to limit government was the U.S. Constitution. And uh, thrilled that uh, Grand Lake, up in uh, just a little gym here in the Rocky Mountains, will be having their 11th annual Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week, September 12th through September 18th. And go to their website, GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com. And uh, it shows all of their events. It's going to be a great event. I have the great honor to emcee the main event on Saturday, September 17th. It'll be in the park. And the keynote speaker is Frank Donatelli. uh, And he's remembering President Reagan's speech on the 200th anniversary of the Constitution. So on the line with me is Jay Davidson. He is the founder and CEO of First American State Bank which is a community bank. Uh, And community banks have been really those institutions which have helped everyday Americans go after their hopes and dreams. And First American State Bank is a great sponsor of the show. Jay Davidson, welcome. Well, thank you, Kim. That was a a great introduction, and I appreciate it. I'm so happy that you're... uh of a Grand Lake uh, doing Constitution Day. That's just a wonderful event. It, it really it really is. And they're actually doing the whole week, uh, starting on Monday the 12th. They have two lectures each day, uh, and by just great, um, you know, great professors and experts in their field. So highly recommend people check that out. And again, that's GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com. So, Jay Davidson, let's talk about the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution. Uh, it's uh, one of the most remarkable documents uh, that has ever been written by man. I would agree with that. I think the founding fathers, um, the old white guys, I guess they're <laughs> now called, um, really struck the bedrock on understanding human nature, our relationship with the Almighty, and our relationship with each other. Most importantly, our relationship with a government. Well, and that's really a mouthful. Uh, understanding human nature, uh, relationship with the Almighty, and with our ourselves. And what was the last one you said? Uh, relationship of the government, oh, government to the people. Boy, things are a bit out of whack right now. They're totally out of whack. And I think the fact that the leftists in the Democratic Party predominantly are uh, being so overt in their actions today, demonstrating their desire for control and their, I would say, their blatant dislike of the American citizen uh, is becoming extremely obvious to a lot of people. We're all very upset about it. We're all very concerned about it. But like you said, we need to remember that we do have a constitution that defines 
the rights of the individual, inalienable rights, I might add, and the uh, restrictions on the federal government. The whole body of law, the rule of law, is the Constitution, and its sole purpose is to control government. The founding fathers understood that government would grow like a cancer if it's not kept in check, and uh, we're seeing that right now. And I must say that it's not just the Democrats. We've seen some progressive, quote, unquote, Republicans in office for some time, and they kind of, I think, mess up our republic, our constitutional republic message with their continual spending and additional laws and and uh, excessive regulations. Well, I totally agree with that. And we've been doing these uh, special shows, and we're pre-recording this for right around Labor Day. Uh, and um, there seems to be a theme, and that is is that we need to be starting at the local level. I agree with that. We have acquiesced um, as conservatives, people that want to conserve this American republic, conserve the vision of the de- declaration that all men are created equal with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and want to conserve the Constitution. We've not been paying attention. And while we've not been paying attention, we've seen radical activists that are on many of our town councils, town boards, town trustees. And uh, it is important that we start to activate and um, get on these different boards, commissions, local government. Uh, Jay, it's really important. Yeah, all, all politics is local, and that's something that people seem to forget. I mean, we look at the president, and every four years we vote for him, and sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Too often when our president gets in, he or she doesn't do uh, what we think is appropriate. So uh, it is grassroots. It's got to start here. I'd like to uh, quote uh, Thomas Jefferson, just a short quote that defines this entire comment that you're making. He says, I know no safe depository of the ultimate powers of the society, but the people themselves. And if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. This is the true correctives of abuses of the constitutional power. Oh, wow. And uh, he was one of those old white guys, one of those founding fathers. Uh, That's why, you know, that's why we do the show, Jay, is to try to help people get their brains around this stuff. And that's why I like your show so much, Kim. I think it's wonderful that you're doing this. Uh, Letting people know that they do have power to make a decision and power to make the change. In fact, it is expected of them in our Constitution. I mean, uh, Ben Franklin said it when he was leaving the Constitutional Congress. A lady said, uh, Mr. Franklin, what did you give us? And he said, a, a uh, constitutional republic, if you can keep it. And Reagan said something else. He said, we're one generation away from losing control. Every generation has to fight this fight. It's not like we have a choice. And the seeds that we plant today create the trees that our children will live under trees of liberty that our children will live under um, when we're long gone. This is what we must do. Well, we really must do this. And we're at a remarkable time, Jay. And and you've been a sponsor of the show for a long time. So we've gone through the whole COVID thing. 
uh, this overreach of government, um, where we are now. And, and the whole COVID, the reaction to COVID was such an affront regarding liberty and our Constitution. And in fact, there were PBIs, I call them um, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties that used the reaction to COVID to continue to take more and more power. And I think that people, and I think Jefferson even said that in, in the Constitution, that people will put up with a bunch until they get to a certain point. And I think people put up with a lot of, of this overreach. Um, but I think that now pe- a lot of people are waking up. Jay, what do you think? I, I totally agree with that. And I think that's extremely good for our nation. We are waking up. Uh, you know, not only the COVID thing, which was uh, ridiculous. It was an abuse of the government's powers uh, on the individual citizen. But but simple things like boards of education uh, bringing in critical race theory uh, or these um, uh, cross-dressing people talking about sex to kids in first, second, and third grade. I mean, it's just beyond the pale of what should be. Um, the, the whole point of the thing, and the, the reason I believe the Constitution was created our nation was created is that our founding fathers understood a term called the sanctity of the individual. And in that, they followed the uh, teachings in the Torah and the Old Testament, where, um, if I get, I don't, I don't mean to get too religious here, but it's more philosophical for me. Uh, the Almighty recognized the individual in Adam and Eve. They were individuals given knowledge of good and evil, and then given free will to make a decision. That's an amazing concept. Why would the Almighty allow that? Because he wants us to learn. He wants us to get better at what we do. He wants us to make our own decisions. That same concept exists in our Constitution, and that's why our Constitution is so profound. Boy, I hadn't thought about that like that, uh, Jay Davidson. Let's uh, continue the conversation. Let's go to break. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to mention the um, USMC Memorial Foundation. They're raising money to uh, remodel the Marine Memorial out at Six and Colfax. And my friends, it is important to honor, to remember uh, those that have given their lives, have been willing to give their lives for our freedom. And uh, they're doing this remodel. It was dedicated back in 1977, so it's time for a remodel. And you can go to usmcmemorialfoundation.org, and you can contribute right there, usmcmemorialfoundation.org. We'll be right back with Jay Davidson. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. Are you concerned about the curriculum taught in government-run schools? Are you concerned about CRT and sexual indoctrination worldview agendas taught to your children in government-run schools? 
Are you concerned that your children are not receiving a quality education in the government-run public schools? Have you considered homeschooling but don't know where to start? Christian Home Educators of Colorado, or CHECK, has answers. You can homeschool. Go to check.org start. Kim Munson highly recommends Christian Home Educators of Colorado. Reclaim your child's education by going to chec.org start today. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com. And welcome back to The Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's kimmunson, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com. And sign up for our weekly newsletter there. Uh, you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, on the line with me is Jay Davidson. He is the founder and CEO of First American State Bank. We're talking about our Constitution. And Jay, you had quoted uh, Thomas Jefferson. And I was just looking at another quote that he had uh, has out there and it says the issue today is the same as it has been throughout all history whether man shall be allowed to govern himself or be ruled by a small elite and we see globalist elites right now that are uh, really ramping up trying to take control of of everyday people and what's kind of standing in their way is the American idea the American middle class and so I feel like the American middle class has really been under attack. Uh, and with COVID and the reaction to COVID and all this going on, I kind of felt it was underneath the surface, but the veil or the mask has come off on this, uh, Jay. Well, it certainly has. And uh, the the uh, the whole movement, the so-called progressive movement, is not new. It, uh, it started with President Woodrow Wilson back in the 1920s. And uh, he was the he and actually uh, Teddy Roosevelt were two of the most progressive presidents. And by gr- progressive, I mean they believed in control of the government by a set of elites who would tell us what to do. These are the bureaucrats and the uh, institutionalized politicians that exist, um, particularly the bureaucrats who exist through different administrations, but they're always there. And uh, that's why the uh, latest uh, ruling by the Supreme Court in uh, West Virginia versus EPA is so critical and why I hope that uh, Justice Gorsuch will continue his um, attacks against what's called the Chevron deferral, which gave immeasurable power to bureaucratic agencies. Uh, If I could just read a quick quote to to codify this. yeah. It says, Wilson argued in favor of administration rather than democratic lawmaking because we were letting all those unqualified immigrants vote, and therefore we needed, in his view, to be governed by a good college-educated administrators of sound judgment. That's the administrative state, the deep state, the, uh, the Borg, as I like to call them. And that's the, the issue that we're facing today. Um, we all kind of thought maybe Biden would be middle of the road. Well, he turned out to be quite the opposite. He's extremely far left or is influenced by the people in his administration who are far left and who want this control. 
Well, definitely. And you mentioned Teddy Roosevelt. And as I go through and look for quotes, um, there's the one by Teddy Roosevelt about the man in the arena, which I I love that. But then they said they said that he was uh, and I guess we should probably I should probably read that. I'll do that here in just a minute. But I was thinking he was a freedom guy, sanctity of the individual. He was Republican. But then as I did more more uh, research on him, they said he was a progressive. And you just put him in this the same um, boat as Woodrow Wilson. I don't know my history well enough on that. Tell me a little bit more about uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and he's at Mount Rushmore. And um, yeah, I'm a little surprised. I, I was uh, I was under the same impression for a long time until a dear friend of mine, who is a brilliant scholar, uh, straightened me out. And uh, his point, I think, is that we can hear the words that politicians say. And that's okay, that's good, that's one indication. But more important are the deeds that they do. And I believe that uh, Teddy Roosevelt, along with Woodrow Wilson, uh, certainly Barack Obama and now Joe Biden, uh, have their deeds have indicated very clearly to us that uh, they do believe in government control, not control of the government. And our Constitution is strictly created to control the government not the other way around. So uh, that's why I, I do think that Teddy is one of the one of the leftists that uh, got us down this path about 100 years ago. So this battle's been going on for a long, long time, and will continue. Uh, we need to fight it uh, intelligently. And that's why I think your efforts with the Constitution in Grand Lake uh, are so critically important. People need to be educated, like Thomas Jefferson said educate the population so they know what their rights are. And uh, when he, when uh, Thomas Jefferson talks about rebellion, I would say, well, that rebellion was against the British government. It happened. We won. Now we have the Constitution. We don't need to rebel, but we do need to follow the Constitution. We do need to demand that our politicians, whether Republican or Democrat or Libertarian, follow the precepts of the Constitution which is less government and more individual freedom. So the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are so connected. The Declaration was this statement, which was so bold, uh, J. Davidson, this idea that they would come out and say that all men are created equal, and because they're created equal in, in the image of God, but all men are created equal with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And then you go to the const, and, and it had all these usurpations in there about King George, and we're seeing uh, some of the some of those usurpations right now in 2022 America. Um, and so they rebelled. They we had the revolution, but but the difference there to now is that we have the Constitution that we can use to I have air quotes rebel. We can rebel against these usurpations, but we have the Constitution so that we can do it that way, correct? That's exactly right. And we should be uh, knowledgeable of the Constitution first, understand what it means, understand that it's a very profound document. The Constitution and the Declaration are very profound documents. You can read them like you'd read your Bible. I'm not saying they're uh, directly from the Almighty, but they're pretty close. I mean, they the, uh, the Founding Fathers believed in the Almighty in, in their own way and uh, believed in a higher being, a greater power, 
the, to, to whom we're all beholden at some point in our lives and certainly at our death. So we have an obligation to follow through on this. Well, we do. And uh, I was just reading while you you were talking there about the usurpations here in the Declaration of Independence. And one of them that says he has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. Boy, that sure sounds to me like 87,000 new IRS agents, Jay. Yeah, not only that, but they're arming these guys with AR-15s with the so-called assault weapons. Now, why in the world would you need to arm IRS agents unless you were going to take people's property by force? There's no other explanation for it. This is egregious. This is wrong. And we cannot allow this to stand. Well, that's why this election is so important, because first and foremost, uh, if Republicans, conservatives take back the House of Representatives, which holds the purse, uh, they will not fund that. So that's the first way to fight that, uh, Jay Davidson. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, that's just part of the whole movement that I think we need to get our politicians focused on. The, the, the way the government controls is, well, two, as I see it. One is through spending, because they're buying votes. I mean, Biden's uh, efforts on the uh, uh, the uh, student, student loan forgiveness is just a straight effort to buy votes by making the taxpaying citizen pay for these individuals who went to college and got a degree in underwater basket weaving and for some reason can't figure out why they're not making any money. So that's absolutely what we need to do and our politicians have to be forced I mean, i'll use that term they have to be forced by us the citizen to understand this and to act against more government control so spending is the one thing and that is probably one of the most important issues uh, of this day the uh, government spending has gotten incredibly overbearing in 2008, uh, the Federal Reserve under Obama and the Treasury Department decided to print funny money called quantitative easing. They printed, in, in 14 years, they printed $8.5 trillion additional U.S. dollars. Now, in banking, we call that liquidity, money supply. That is like increasing the money supply by over 30% in that 14-year period. It is the most inflationary event that our nation has ever faced. And our Federal Reserve today, from Bernanke to Yellen and now to Powell, does not understand that simple fact that every time you print an additional dollar over that needed by uh, the economy to run and to flow, that additional dollar printed devalues the dollar in your pocket. And that's why we're seeing inflation today. It's so horrendous, and it's only going to get worse. Further, the Fed Reserve, in their ignorance, excuse me if I use that term, but I am so fed up with the Federal Reserve and their, their leftist-leading progressive attitude toward money supply and monetary theory, that they uh, will now shut down 
private business by raising interest rates. And increasing interest rates will certainly shut down business and uh, reduce the number of loans that are going out there and reverse reverse what we call the velocity of money, the number of times money changes hands, which is an indication of either a growing economy or a depleting economy. They will deplete the economy with these interest rate increases and cause undue harm to the individual at the at the very time that inflation is eating us alive we can't fill our cars up for less than a hundred dollars today and when when uh, trump was president it cost us something like 30 or 40 dollars that that is pure absolute inflation and so uh, you know i'm very disappointed in the federal reserve and i have been for a couple of decades with these kind of actions uh, so inflation is uh, is devaluation of the United States dollar, and it's caused by the printing of U.S. dollars through a term called quantitative easing. And the way to prevent that, stop it, to reduce the inflation, is to stop the spending that the quantitative easing provided um, through the Treasury Department. When uh, the Fed uh, printed all these dollar bills, they uh, bought United States treasuries, therefore putting us all in debt that we, the taxpayer, have to pay back. And then to add insult to injury, the Obama administration proceeded to spend that money on entitlement programs and vote-buying programs that actually, if you look at it, don't do any good. They just harm the individual. So the first power of the government that has to be reduced is spending. The second is the bureaucracy and the regulation that comes from the bureaucracy. And that's why West Virginia versus EPA was such an important case. Well, and the fourth branch of government, the bureaucratic administrative state, is unaccountable and unelected. That's antithetical to the American idea. Uh, Our constitutional republic is supposed to be uh, representatives that are democratically uh, elected. And it's taken us a while, as you mentioned, uh, I mean, Woodrow Wilson, um, you know, back in the early 1900s, it's taken a while to get to this point. We can turn this around, but it's going to require us to really have a real gut check on this. So let's go to break. Um, We're going to continue the conversation with Jay Davidson, so stay tuned. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. With the professional training from Franktown Firearms, everyone can improve. The experts at Franktown meet you at your current level of experience, gauging your confidence and ability so they can recommend exactly what's right for you. After you purchase your first or tenth firearm, Franktown will always encourage you to train. They maintain a comfortable atmosphere, offering lessons for improvement with one-on-one classes and private training or even group classes, guiding you along your journey from beginner to expert. They even offer a concealed carry certification class. 
Franktown Firearms doesn't play by the corporate model. As a family-owned, operated, and family-friendly business, they give everyone the time they deserve. They emphasize the importance of training in a comfortable and inclusive environment. Franktown Firearms wants you to be as invested in improving your skills as they are in training with you. Sign up for any of their group or personalized courses today at klzradio.com forward slash franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good idea. You should not have to force people to do it. Uh, And before we get back to Jay Davidson, I wanted to just mention the 11th annual Grand Lake Colorado U.S. Constitution Week. It's September 12th through September 18th, which is a glorious time to be in Grand Lake. And it starts on Monday the 12th. And uh, great uh, speakers, great great meetings. You'll learn uh, learn a lot. It's just pretty amazing. So go to GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com. And take a look at their schedule of events. And I'd love to see you there. I'm going to be up there emceeing the main event on the 17th, which is Constitution Day. Uh, Jay Davidson, who is, um, well, an entrepreneur. He is uh, founder and CEO of First American State Bank. And we're talking about the Constitution. And, Jay, I wanted to kick around this 16th Amendment, which was uh, ratified February 3 of 1913. Uh, and it is the power to lay that Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. And uh, this is really something um, Karl Marx talked about a progressive income tax. And we do things that are incremental. Uh, and I talked to, to I can, now I can't remember which guest it was, but they said that, I said, how did they get past this thing? And they said, well, there were all these tariffs. Uh, basically, the government was living on tariffs, and some of the people didn't feel like that was fair. And so how about the income tax? But it was very incremental. It was sold to people. It was going to be very small. Uh, but next thing we know, it's it can get very big. And a progressive income tax means the harder you work, the more money that you make, the risk that you take and might be rewarded for, then you're going to be taxed more. On the opposite side, if you take risk and you lose, people don't come in and subsidize that. So it really is uh, an assault on creativity, innovation, hard work, in my opinion. What do you think, Jay? Well, it certainly is at the level that we are at now. It is absolutely an assault on uh, the individual and on private business. It's taking away the money that we have earned and to which we have an inalienable right under our Declaration of Independence to uh, own and possess. And progressive means that it gets uh, they take more taxes from people that make more, as opposed to a flat tax, which says... If you know, if you make uh, $10,000, you pay 1000 If you make $100,000, you pay $10,000. Uh, that's a flat tax. The, uh, the whole idea behind a progressive, flat ta- uh, progressive tax is that uh, Karl Marx, who was the guy who originated the idea, um, 
doesn't like and doesn't want entrepreneurs and independent people. He is a leftist of the first order, and he believes the government should control everything. And he did that for many, many years. Uh, communism controlled everything in Russia. And now you can see Russia has been uh, degraded to a third world uh, economy. So it doesn't work and never has, but they always keep trying it. And in America, they're certainly trying it. And it is incremental, incrementalism uh, at its worst. Uh, and it always starts that way. I mean, Lyndon Johnson's great, and the New Deal was was the same way and now we have this massive entitlement uh, system that uh, doesn't do any good for anybody except it creates more bureaucratic jobs right and bureaucrats don't create anything uh they have to live no. off of the fruit of other people's uh, labors that's right <laughs> Jay, Sounds I, like a parasite i think oh that is that does sound like what what do they say uh what do they say the word politics comes from uh t- the many wor- ticks. yeah poly <laughs> meaning many and ticks <laughs> meaning a, a little a, things that bite you yeah blood blood <laughs> sucking uh yeah we have never talked about this, uh, so I'm going to be interested to get your opinion on that, and that is these economic development offices. So when I was on city council, initially I'm like, economic development, oh my gosh, that sounds great. But then what I realized, cities, counties, states have these quote-unquote economic development offices, and we reported on uh, three different companies that are receiving economic development tax incentives from the state of Colorado. And what I realized is that it's actually bureaucrats and politicians and interested parties that cozy up and uh, they give some companies special breaks and everybody else has to play by the other rules. I'm like, economic development, if it's better for this company not to have to pay as much in taxes and they would then say stay in Colorado or want to come to Colorado, well, then maybe it's good for everybody to have lower taxes and lower regulations. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, this is a trap that a lot of politicians, in fact, the vast majority of politicians fall into. You say to a politician, what are you going to do for me when you get to Washington? And he'll start saying, well, I'm going to pass this law, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give you a tax break. And I say, no, I don't want that. And none of us in the private industry and in private economy want that. Um, the, the, the whole idea behind a government subsidy, like, let's say, uh, windmills or electric cars, is that they decide who should win and who should lose. But what they're missing is that the, the true element of private industry is that our capital is at risk. So when we make a decision, it is based on fact. It is based on our ability to satisfy our customer. Um, it's based on our efforts to increase the income of our business and thereby benefit our, our employees, our vendors, and our shareholders. And uh, the economic development concept is antithetic to a free market system. I might add, getting a little philosophical here, but the whole concept of our declaration and our constitution of the founding of our nation is that the individual is sacred. And, uh, in fact, uh, democracy uh, does not play a major role in our Constitution. In fact, it's not mentioned ever in our Constitution. Look it up. 
Now, the Democratic Party says that we are a democracy. No, we have one set of Democratic votes for the president and Congress and so forth, and that's it. A democracy is like uh, uh, two wolves and a sheep deciding who's for lunch. And, uh, you know, a simple majority can impose its will on the individual. That's antithetic, totally antithetic, to the reason that our nation was founded. And when the government gets involved in private business, that's what they're doing. They're uh, choosing winners and losers, and uh, they're not allowing the free enterprise system to work. So the point that I'm trying to make is that capitalism is a natural outgrowth of the sanctity of the individual, the right of the individual to make his or her own decision. It grows naturally from um, our Constitution and our Declaration. Uh, it does. And, and as you're talking about this, though, I'm thinking again about my experience on, on city council, and it took me a while to connect the dots. Another term that they have loved to use, and that is public-private partnerships. But what I finally figured out, it was that the um, private company and the government, again, these PBIs might want to get a project done. They decide who's going to be the private component of that. And then the public, their part of that is, is if, in fact, the deal does not work out the way they thought it was going to be, the public was going to be on the hook for the risk on it. At least that's pretty simplistic, but that took me a while to get to that point. Your thoughts on that, Jay? Once again, when the government gets involved in private enterprise, um, it's going to mess it up. It has at every turn. Uh, I don't know of a single government-based program that is successful. And I know of many, many private-based decisions that work. And the whole problem is that, uh, as you said, the government doesn't make anything. The government takes. It takes uh, uh, our tax, uh, our, our, our earnings through uh, taxation. It takes our freedom through regulation. It takes our future through spending, but it doesn't create. Individual citizens through private business and capitalism create, and they create jobs, they create innovative ideas, they create things that people want, Um, they employ people that make a choice of their own free will to work in that business. Uh, There's a lot of goodness that comes with capitalism. Well, there, there really is. And uh, there are those that want to use, uh, they've uh, made it sound like capitalism is a bad thing. Cronyism is a bad thing. And I think that uh, right. many people have substituted the, the uh, term capitalism for cronyism. And so we've got a couple of minutes. Um, um, what's your comments on that, Jay? You know, everybody likes to say crony capitalism. And again, my philosopher, my philosopher friend, Uh, straighten me out on that one, too. He said, there's no such thing as crony capitalism. There's either capitalism or cronyism. Mm -hmm. Cronyism is where the government pays you by taking money from some other person so that you can prosper. And a lot of people believe in that. Uh, You know, at first I was kind of down on uh, Mr. uh, Oh, I can't think of the name. He started Tesla. Oh, Elon Uh, Musk. Elon Musk, yeah. I mean, but and when I looked at it, Elon was just using the rules and the laws that were out there to benefit himself and his shareholders. So, um, but that was cronyism. 
And uh, these electrical vehicles are just a clear example of government interference in private enterprise. If electrical vehicles are to be the wave of the future, then let the private industry do that. Let the individual make that decision. Stop forcing it down our throats. Um, California now has said you can't have a gas-powered lawnmower, and by some time in the near future, you can't have a gas car. Can you imagine what they will do to their economy and to the nation when they implement that? It seems like they don't really care. And before we go to break, uh, Elon Musk, I, you know, people have held him up as a, a great businessman. And, and I guess to your point, he's taken a look at the rules and the laws, and then he has used that to his advantage. The problem is the rules and the laws were um, trying to push a particular agendas instead of, again, keeping government in the limited box it's supposed to be in. But several years ago, I'd done some research on him. He'd received $4 billion in money from the, the government. So you start with $4 billion. I mean, that's, a, that's quite a marker to start with. But the other thing mm-hmm. is, is regarding the electric vehicles, EVs, is he had the the uh, corner on the market on these credits. And so your other manufacturers, government said you had to oh, hit these different um, carbon benchmarks. And they couldn't because people wanted to buy gas-powered vehicles. So they had to buy these, these things that Elon Musk had uh, via Tesla to cover this regulation by the government. And that's one of the ways he got extremely wealthy. And again, that's not capitalism. That's cronyism, Jay. Yeah, your, your distinction is exactly right. It's, it's not that Elon Musk is a bad guy. He's not. He's just using the laws and the rules as they're established. The problem is the laws and the rules, the bureaucracy, the uh, cronyism that exists in the United States government. That is the problem. That's what we've been addressing all morning. Most definitely. So we're going to go to break. We have one more segment left, and I'm talking with Jay Davidson. He is the founder and CEO of First American State Bank, great sponsor of the show. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Jay Davidson. Hey, everybody. Roots Medical here with an exciting update about the practice. In addition to specialties in hormones, thyroid, and gut health, Roots Medical is thrilled to now offer pediatrics. Scheduling is easy, and the appointments are comprehensive, genuine, and focused on your child. Take control of your child's health care by scheduling at Roots Medical. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your health care concerns. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. 
And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. On the line with me is Jay Davidson. He is a founder and CEO of First American State Bank. We've been talking about the Constitution, the sanctity of the individual, which <laughs> these are very radical concepts in the history of man. And we've taken it for granted. Sometimes I'm concerned that we are living on the fumes of freedom. uh, And we've taken it for granted, although I do think people are waking up. Uh, And these elections are so important. And that is why Biden is pandering and trying to buy votes with this quote, and I have air quotes, the forgiveness of $10,000 of student loans. Why is this a bad idea for, uh, I know on the short term, it may look like it's a good idea, but why is this a bad idea? Uh, Biden's loan for, again, forgiveness, Jay Davidson. There's a a lot of reasons why it's wrong. And uh, I think the first one is the moral argument. Uh, these students have accepted money from a lender. In this case, it's the government, unfortunately. And if you accept money from someone uh, with a promise to repay, then you have a moral obligation to repay it. And that is probably one of the most powerful arguments against this so-called forgiveness program. The second argument against it is it has nothing to do with forgiveness. They're just taking a burden a a financial burden off of one person's shoulders who uh, willingly engaged in that burden and took the money and spent it, and they're putting that burden on the taxpayer's shoulders. It's not a forgiveness. It's a transfer of debt from somebody that benefited from it to many people who never benefited from it. I mean, how do you think people feel who paid their own education or, or didn't pay for education and went into the trades and started making money right off the bat in the trades. How do they feel about this? I hear they're not happy. I'm not happy. They're not happy, <laughs> no. <laughs> not happy whatsoever. Uh, and then this last thing is the the pandering. And people like a deal. People uh, like the idea of free stuff. But this pandering to uh, people for their votes. There is something so. Ugh, I just. I feel. Ugh, it's just. It's just dirty. I guess that's what I feel. I feel like it's just very dirty. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, they, they don't. Uh, Biden can't see beyond his nose if, if that far. And, well, he's not sure if it's his, his nose or somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the, the leftists uh, have a terrible history of not understanding cause and effect. Uh, they're really good at placing blame on everybody but themselves. But it's their programs that have caused the inflation that we experience today, that caused the uh, economic slowdown that we're going through today. And this student loan program, you know, in the old days, uh, Uh, Back when I was a foolish young banker, we made those loans. Uh, We commercial banks made those loans to uh, creditworthy parents, basically, but the child signed on the bottom line. So the parent liked it because then the child was 
required to make the payment to us. And if we liked it because the child didn't make it, we'd go to the parent. We didn't have losses then. People paid the loans back. Uh, that's the moral argument about this. But now the government has taken the student loan program. They do it 100% themselves. No bank does that today. And you look at when the government started taking over student loans, you saw the price of tuition begin to soar. Mm -hmm. There's a collusion here. It's not a conspiracy. It's a collusion between higher education and uh, the student loan program funded by the federal government. Now, the federal government couldn't care less about the money that it costs to increase tuition because they're not paying it. We're paying it. This is the foolish thing that Americans need to understand. Every dollar the government spends or every piece of debt they go into is ours. It's not theirs. They're, they're a pass-through entity. So this whole education thing got totally messed up when the leftists got involved in education and got involved in student loans, caused the price of tuition to go through the ceiling. And, oh, by the way, at the same time, the level of education of our college students today, our American college students, has been declining relative to the rest of the world for decades. So we're paying more and getting less. Now, that is not a, an intelligent formula. It is not an intelligent formula, that's for sure. And I had a recent guest on, we were talking about this, and basically it was under Obama when the um, Unaffordable Care Act was passed. There was also the takeover of the um, um, college, um, you know, um, loan program as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, we've got about four minutes left, and I'm just going to throw this out because, and this is as of 2020, so the numbers have changed. I know University of Texas actually has, uh, their endowments have increased, but these universities that are encouraging these students to take on these, this exorbitant debt, and um, they're benefiting from it. Our kids are also being indoctrinated. Uh, the quality of their education has gone down. Instead of having the American taxpayer take this on, I think we should take a look at these endowments. So this was a couple of years ago, Harvard University. Their endowment uh, was worth almost $42 billion. I think maybe they should pony up. What do you think, Jay? <laughs> Well, um, you know, emotionally, I agree with you 100 percent, but I have I always have problems with government interference. The people that endowed uh, that that funded Harvard did so of their own free will, and they allocated it to Harvard to do certain things. And so I, I have a little bit of a uh, Republican problem with that, <laughs> although emotionally, I really like it a lot. <laughs> I, I, I really like to get to the point where we stop the government from interfering in our lives. That is not their function at all, ever. The government's function is to protect us from foreign uh, nations. That's it. Nothing more. I mean, it, this stuff is simple. And, you know, I'd I just like to say we have the Constitution, we have the Declaration, we have the proper nation, we have the proper founding of our nation. We citizens just need to step up and state the facts. We need to get educated. People need to go to your Constitution Day and hear what these scholars have to say and then understand it themselves and then articulate that to their politicians. We can make a difference. And I do believe that truth resonates. It resonates far beyond just one individual speaking. 
And so I'd say there's, you know, one of you is equal to 100 of these lefties running around because you're articulating truth in what you say and what we do. And a little truth goes a long way. And Jay Davidson, I have to admit, you're right again. Here I was thinking about government getting involved with these endowments. And that's a trap that we can get into. And thank you for clarifying that. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you so much for this great conversation. Jay Davidson, founder, CEO of First American State Bank. Thank you, Kim. It's an absolute pleasure. It is such a delight to have these conversations. And uh, I neglected to say thank you to all of you listeners out there at the beginning of the show. And I just want you to know how valued you all are. You're treasured and valued and you have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind and your body. And my friends, we were made for this moment and we have to step forward into this moment. And uh, Jay Davidson gives us a lot of great wisdom and encouragement. So our quote for the end of the show, I went to Thomas Jefferson, and uh, uh, you just need to check out some of his quotes. But this one is, there is no justification for taking away individuals' freedom in the guise of public safety. And again, that is Thomas Jefferson. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America.